It is just past 18 hours, 31 minutes and 4 seconds East African time. Time for John Sibi Okumu on Wednesday. This being Wednesday, the 23rd of November, 2022. Hello and welcome. In this edition, marine conservation is the subject matter. The thought of it took me back to my days as a young father. Watching kiddie-friendly films was a rite of passage then, and a favorite film could become the soundtrack for domestic life for weeks, months, and even years on end. One such was The Little Mermaid, and a family hit from it was the song Under the Sea. I'm sure it was or has been for others too. Our guest is Mama Bahari, which doesn't quite translate well in English as Mama the Sea or Mama the Ocean, but you know what I mean. A warm welcome to our guest for this edition, whom I shall invite to help me relive happy days from my past. Here goes. Just look at the world around you, right here on the ocean floor. Such wonderful things around you. What more is you looking for? Under the sea, under the sea. Darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Take it from me. Up on the shore, they work all day. Out in the sun, they slave away. While the devoting full time, floating under the sea. Play the hop, the place, play the bass in the sound, the job, the bass, play the brass, the chop, play the top, the flute is the duke of soul. The way he can play the links on the strings, the chop, the chop, the blackfish, he sings the smelt and the strut, they know where it's at, they know that blowfish. Well, uh, I must say the farty sound always used to go down very well, but uh, Mama Bahari will come back to your views on whether the sea or the ocean uh, is indeed a better place to be. But first, let us define our terms. Mama Bahari, what does the sea mean to you? The sea, the ocean, it's 70% of our planet. It's, um, a set, we live in a world where 70% of, of our world is ocean, and it's blue, and it's mystical, and it's strong, and it's wild. And that's uh, how, how I, we see the ocean. It's beautiful. Is that, it's beautiful, but um, tell us, how much, is it, how much of it is there? Um, there's 70% of the ocean, of the world is ocean. We really are a blue planet. And um, it's an extraordinary place. It influences us in so many ways and we influence it in many ways. And many people fail to understand how powerful and mystical and beautiful the ocean is. Well, let's go back to my school days, Mama Bahari. <laughs> we learned about the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Indian Ocean, 
There seem to be lots of them. The Southern Ocean. Exactly. And the Arctic, yes. So why why these distinctions? Well, in fact, we only have one ocean. Um, we These are sort of five ocean basins that for us as humans, we've been able to sort of separate them so that we can understand that the different, you know, the different forms of ocean. But we do actually have only one ocean and there are many features within it. The ocean really is like a conveyor belt. It's got, it controls all our currents, and um, which in, in, in effect control our winds, our weather systems, and, and our species and temperature of the world, our waves and our tides, and many, many other things. The ocean controls and affects us. Well, I take away from that the idea that you said 70% um, I know very little about this 70%. Could you try to suggest to the lay person why we give it such a wide berth? It seems to me that 70% of something is a big deal, but here we are being more preoccupied about land masses, continents, nations, and you're saying that um, the real mover and shaker in our lives is the sea, the ocean. Yeah, it it is, I mean, it really does make up 70%. It's very, and funnily enough, actually, our body mass is the same with 70% liquid and 70% mass. And it's it's a sort of biological balance that we have. And um, our ocean, what does it do? It really controls our water cycle. Um, it, it allows us as humans to actually live here because it, it, it creates its own sort of biosphere, con, you know, control system. And... It, makes, it means that we as humans can actually live on this ocean. And if you look at the globe, you know, when you, when you look at a, the globe, it's, it's mainly blue. It's not green. It's not sort of landmass. And, and it's huge. When you look at the Pacific, it's massive. It's, um, and it's very heavy, if you see what I mean. That's why sometimes I think we sort of, the, ocean, the world sits at its tilter. Um, yeah, and it, it supports a massive diversity of life and ecosystems and species and mammals and creatures that we know very little about. In fact, perhaps, you know, we only know about 5% of our ocean, which I always find very interesting given that we know more about the moon and now Mars than we do about our ocean. I'd like an uh, elaboration, <clears throat> please, on this idea of 5%. So you said, like the body, it's a 70-30% mix what is the 5% of the really, really big thing that we know about? Is it the tip of it? We know 5% at the top, 5% in the middle. Where does this percentage come from? No, I think it's a percentage that has come to sort of normal facts at the moment, given that we can say that the ocean is largely unexplored. In the past, you know, there were voyages and histories of diving and... Um, recent findings, but in reality, we really don't know what happens in the Marianas Trench, which is the deepest point um, in the ocean. We don't know the gas exchanges of what's happening down there and how that influences us today and how we and the way we are living influences the ocean. We don't know how much, you know, our pollution is fully affecting the ocean and how, and how um, inadvertently that will affect us 
in our lives and living on this ocean. Again, another another sort of um, not that bright layperson's um, question. Things evolve over time. So again, uh, age of the dinosaurs, Tyrannosaurus Rex, and then there was there was the Ice Age and the whatever age. Couldn't how much has it changed in a way to worry us? Isn't one way of looking at it, Mama Bahari, just to say whatever's happening is going to happen and it's part of a continuum and um, we keep on living as we always have done and just ignore the effects of our behaviour. Why this sudden preoccupation with the sea, the ocean, when it's been there for a long time, millennia? I actually think because suddenly we're really realising the value of the ocean, our, our knowledge is expanding and we're realising how important it is to us as as um, humans living on this planet, how important it is us for food food source, how important it, it is for us for um, as a carbon sequential, how important it is it is for um, transport energy. Sorry, I'm again uh, going to butt in. Yeah, you did yeah. something weird there. Carbon, uh, uh, <laughs> put me in, put me in. That carbon emission, CO two. Are you trying to suggest that all the carbon that we get rid of? eventually goes into the sea and I'm not a scientist if it gets there is is it purified therein or does it live there forever well it's what we call sequented so it's deposited mm. um, it's soaked up it's soaked up in what we call phytoplankton which we find a lot of in in the big blue deep waters um, and the zooplankton and also in our seagrass beds and particularly in our mangroves and in in the in the mud in the mangroves and in the kelp forests it's in the sort of sea forest is where we get greater sequential oh, carbon like much much bigger than you get on the terrestrial forests and that knowledge is only recently being found out and accepted and and it can change the way we do things and how we govern ourselves so that we can live longer and better by living in balance with our ocean I'm going to go back to another thing. We always hear uh, about um, the Arctic and all these people, huge bits of ice and they're being bits chopped off. And the more they get chopped off, uh, the more water they put into the landmass. And therefore, you have this terrible flooding so that, you know, two thirds of Pakistan or something is underwater. Uh, again, um, is proper treatment of the sea, the ocean, going to get rid of the problem? Or is it inexorable? Are we bound as a species to self-destruct? That's a massive question. Um, I think we are the only species on this planet that have the brain and the technology to change the way we do things. And we have the choice to do it better. And we have the choice to, ex to innovate and create create things and, and work in balance with our ocean and our land and our overall planet. One more question before we go into our first break. Um, I want to address the idea of ownership. Whenever we say the world is one, we are the world, it's all very comforting. But the world is made up, as I dare say, I don't need to talk down to you, very many different nations and very many different political and social interests. Who owns the sea? 
who owns it? Is there a bit of Kenyan sea that we should drape our flag over? Yeah, I mean, we 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 have Kenya's coastline is 600 kilometers long, and um, we have 200 nautical miles that we are in control of. But outside of that 200 nautical miles is governed by sort of UN governing policies, and actually they're not well governed because they're too big, and there's you know no one personal individual that manages those areas. It's very complicated. We don't have fences and boundaries like we do on land. Well, again, I'm reading my papers daily. I hear that people, if you go out far enough, um, then you can sort of build islands and uh, let's not name the countries that are doing that to create a sort of diplomatic spat. But people can claim bits of the ocean and by claiming it, it is theirs. I... I really can't comment on that enough. I don't have enough knowledge, except that people who are reclaiming lands are doing them in the shallow waters which are within their territories. Within their territories. Right, I think, first break. Thank you very much. Mama Bahari, one of the joys of doing this program is that I get to ask questions of knowledgeable people like you that um, do forgive me if they sound a bit trite, but I'm going to suggest that a comparison between when we talk about wildlife conservation, what happens on land, and I begin to think about endangered species, uh, please hands off our elephants, uh, horrendous statistics about... um, there are only so many lions left, we've got to watch out. Now, you're taking me into a terrain, or not terrain, rather, got to find a sort of um, sea-based image, but you're taking me into an area of what's happening in the sea. Are there similar concerns underwater as there are on land? For example, uh, are there, what is the moral equivalent of the elephant underwater? What is the endangered species for Kenyans? Um. That's a great question. Actually, one of our most threatened mammals in Africa is the dugong, the nguva, which we had a great number. Um, if I recall, in the 80s, there was a migrating population from Lamu down to um, Malindi, and we had a separate population in southern Kenya, and the dugong is like the manatee. It's a sea cow. It's of the Serenian family and they are now I mean in my lifetime and when I worked with KWS and the Worldwide Fund for Nature in the Kiunga Marine National Reserve I only came across dead ones never any live and the same story is happening in Tanzania and the most viable population of dugong that we have in what we call the Western Indian Ocean is in Mozambique, in the Bazarutu Marine National Park, which is now run by African Parks. So yes, I actually call the Nguva more like the rhino. It really is a threatened species. The reasons it's been threatened is it, it was really easy to catch. And the value of a dugong dead was 
because they were very large, they're very large, was worth half a million shillings, probably now about a million shillings dead in terms of its meat, its fat, and all the products that came off it. So if if we were na, to, to ni, do anything... Ni wakenya ndi wanakula isa. Ama ni wakwatwengine ndi wanakula. No, ni, ni sisi. Sisi wabahari, sisi okay. wakenya. Okay. So, yeah, uh, it was so good nyama. It's it good nyama. It's, That's it's, why. it's good nyama, but you're, you're okay. So you're... It's always this perennial problem. The, wor- the, the world population is increasing. People need food. And here is something that supplies them with food. So I'm just trying to suggest if something is about, is there a I'm making that land-sea comparison, is there a place where one can breed these things so that there can be a lot of them and they don't, oh, is that? It's such a funny thing. I've often thought about it. Hmm. I've often thought about relocating um a population from Bazarutu back into Kenya, but you, you, we can't have fences in the sea. So you can have rhino fences like at Lewa, um, but we, we can't do that. We would have to, I'd just take Lamo and Manda Bay as an area. You'd have to have your rangers and tag the dugong and monitor them and actually pay the rangers a fee to be the guardians, the ocean guardians, the dugong guardians. As one does with, with, with land <laughs> yeah, animals. Yeah, which we do with land animals. Right, but we can't do that in the sea. It's well, a we bit can. More, yes, it's yes. just a little bit more complicated because you and, don't have and, fences. And not cost effective. Well, it's not impossible. It's Nothing's not, impossible. It's not impossible. It's actually, for yeah. me, it would be an amazing way of um, um, highlighting the importance of our oceans through one particular mammal. Exactly. I'd like to, again, uh, do forgive me, <laughs> when we read the papers and we say, I don't know whether, uh, don't stick your neck out in a manner that it might not be reattached, but uh, <laughs> if we build a huge port, as in Lamu, yeah. and um, people come along and they create this huge space, ultimately, mm. who's winning out on here? Man is winning out and see living species are suffering yeah, or the, the the port is going to pay itself back and um, all the animals will say oh what a wonderful port you know ports they are needed but they could be better constructed and actually one of my colleagues who is a humpback whale scientist is doing his research on the migratory routes of the humpback whale and how the vessel routes have impacted and the noise pollution and how that impacts. So the more knowledge we so have the no, the on no, the marines on our marine systems, yeah. the more we can build better ports. But isn't it a bit like, okay, the, 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 there is this one cheetah or some animal in the Maasai Mara and all of a sudden it's surrounded by all these um, vans because everybody wants to get a good picture mm. uh, and we're basically destroying the day-to-day uh, sort of movement of this lovely creature, which would just be be well done being left alone. So there is no possibility of leaving these creatures alone. No, there's no possibility. Well, it depends how you manage. It's a management and a governance issue is how you can do that, to be honest. Like all our wildlife, it's, um, it's a matter of governance. Okay, we'll go back to governance later. Later, Yeah. <laughs> later because what can we do is another. Yeah. But I'm just saying things that I read about and trying to make these comparisons between the land and the sea. So we can't build fences. Uh, we can't sort of stop the person who wants to take the photograph. But unlike the land, 
people travel huge distances to go and see an animal in the Mara, the migration of the wildebeest, it seems to be that uh, not that many people, apart from you, have <laughs> have gone to underground to see the wonders of the sea. That's why we all believe they're sort of underground with a nice orchestra, <laughs> the newt playing the flute. We've got no idea what's going on down there. Well, actually, thanks to Jacques Cousteau and the fact that we can all scuba dive, any scuba divers do appreciate. But I think there's a lack of understanding of what we in Eastern Africa have. We actually have, well, Eastern and Southern Africa, we have three migrations happening at the same time. We've got the sardine run happening in Southern Africa, so it's not us, but it feeds, it's a feeding frenzy. So if you ever want to see a hunt, you want to go into that. You've got sardines migrating, and in the feed are gannets coming down. You've got the dolphins coming up. You've got seals from the sides. You've got sharks feeding in, and you've got a bride as well from the other side. And you're in the water watching this. And that's one yes, sort of migration. Yeah, the the favoured few, the favoured few are in the water watching this. I, then, I, I, and I then we've I, got the humpback well made, humpback whale migration happening. I'm just saying an appreciation of the wonders of the sea is an elitist construct. We, we're, not going, we're not going to draw True. the one inchi. Okay. And that's one of my dreams, actually, mm. to, to have a place at the coast where we can teach people to snorkel and swim and mm -hmm. get to know the underwater world. Right. Okay. So here we are. The, the sea is minding its own business. Another problem that might arise is that there is the idea of these animals eating the wrong thing. So plastic, mm -hmm. there's a tie-in. So everybody's saying all the fish that we eat now, uh, we've got to avoid it because it, you know, they eat too much plastic. So I'm, I'm still, the, the through line here is that the human being, us, we, are quite systematically destroying our environment and we just have to accept it it's very sad it must it must gall you it must appall you but it's inevitable i still believe that we can do something about it okay. we have the intelligence we have the innovation we have the knowledge it's just the investments need to be put into the right place many of our investments are not necessarily made to support innovative solutions to how we can live more in balance because maybe they not make as much money initially as an immediate investment would do right now let's go back let's go back to the land some of these yeah. animals uh, the elephant for example there's this idea of human conflict mm -hmm. are sea creatures yeah. uh, in a way our enemies could they go and sort of trample you know um, eat all the maize in our in our chamber are they posing that kind of threat or are they totally ha harmless? I know they live off each other. The, the the law of the jungle must be the law of the sea. But what threat do they pose to to human I mean, beings? Sharks obviously pose a threat they, if you're seen as a seal and right. you're surfing. But I think a lot of misnomers around sharks and we're getting a lot of science-based information about sharks and, and understanding them. I mean, I've swum with sharks down in South Africa um, and... So I think in Kenya, sharks have been seen as dangerous, and to see sharks in Kenya now is very rare, and okay. that's a sad thing. It's basically like having no more lions on land, like no more, we have no more sharks, and they're key predators. 
I'm going to park that the, the line of questioning because we're going to, for another long bit um, because we want to go back to okay there also there's this great danger. I'd like to go back yet again to this idea of mankind and what we're doing. Can you comment on the idea of this idea of imperial domination and uh, how much in control of our seas are we? Or are we, I'm looking now, Mama Bahari, I'm looking now at the image of the guy who's got a big boat and our local fishermen were quite happy sort of going in and bringing in, you know, 10 kilos a day. Then this comes along, huge boat making a huge racket and takes the whole catch doesn't leave mummy and daddy and there's night. So we read about it in West Africa. We read mm. about it everywhere. Mm. Is it happening in Kenya? Because we, we've got a navy. We're very proud of our navy and every, all these guys. And coast guards. Yeah, and our coast guards. All these guys looking very um, handsome in, in white. Are I they think, achieving anything? I think it used to happen a lot more. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be the expert in this. Mm. But I know we were doing a lot more sort of, in. it's not inshore, but sort of coastal, um, saning and getting and trade it, it was always a trade off in Kenya it's more it's more in my opinion and I could be wrong but it was more of a sort of political deal and that's because there's been a lot of a lack of understanding of the value of our fisheries and the value in all forms, not just economic. But I was being a bit more because we've got we've got we've got a new ministry. We've got a ministry of the blue economy. We do, we do. We've got a new government. I asked the more direct question: uh -huh. Are we in control, no. or there are these horrible people called our foreign masters? Are our foreign masters sort of um, controlling us, even as re with regard to the sea? Or you wouldn't comment on that, which is fair I, enough. I just don't. I right now I don't know enough on how much is being taken by our foreign masters mm -hmm. i do know the, the the you know the story of the blue economy is that you know the ideal is that to use the the ocean resources in a sustainable manner and there's a big blue economic project in kenya being funded by the un um but i i wouldn't be able to comment if it's all just foreign take i i I don't think so. Don't know is always a right answer because okay. we're just we're just having a conversation okay. and at this point in the conversation we're going to take a break. Mama Bahari, I think, uh, let me give you a heads up as we say in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I think we're going to go into the whole idea of threats, challenges. <laughs> and again, um, maybe I'll keep my big mouth shut, a very difficult thing for me to do. I'm going to give you some uninterrupted leeway to describe the threats before I sort of come in with a rejoinder at every turn. What are the threats to the sea, to the ocean? What do we have most to fear? I, uh, well, one of the biggest issues is obviously climate change, which leads to ocean acidification in certain areas, rising sea levels, which you talked about, because the earth is getting hotter and ice melts and the ocean rises. And remember, most people live 
the most of the world population lives close to the sea, so it could impact people's livelihoods in, directly. Um, also because of that is coral bleaching, which we've heard of, um, uh, of the Great Barrier Reef. And it happened here and it continually happens every year. That's, you know, and it's, it's quite a serious issue and that's all climate change related. Um, and I would say that's one of our biggest issues. I think generally there's just inadequate protection and governance. A lot of our goals globally and nationally have been, you know, let's get 10% of our coastal areas protected. And even if they are on paper, they're not formally protected. There's not sort of proper enforcement or proper management. And sometimes you're taking, I would say in Kenya, you sometimes take more of a land management approach of protected areas to marine protected areas. And it's different. We need a marine team. You know, we need a team that understands the ocean, that understands the corals. We've also got the issue of pollution, um, whether it's plastic pollution, um, whether it's oil, whether it's just coastal land pollution. I mean, pollution's a massive, a massive issue. And one that's really hard to come to grips with because its sources are so diverse, where the pollution comes from. Then there's some, a massive issue of habitat destruction and fragmentation, which would be just take a port. It might just knock down all the mangroves, seagrass beds and wetlands, which is actually one of our biggest carbon sinks. We need those ecosystems to keep us in balance, but the porters just dug them all up and cemented everything. Um, so that's a major issue. And then fishing practices and the way we fish. Um, a lot of it is destructive, however small it may be or however large it is. And there's lots of overfishing. And I think the reason is that we don't really understand our fisheries that enough, that well. Even our coastal fish, we don't understand how they spawn and how they actually live. And we don't really know enough about our tuna or our pelagics and where they spawn and, and enough. So our management systems aren't there and there's just lack of governance. And, and yeah, so there are many threats. Um, I hope that's a start for you to go with. Thank you. I'd like to go back to this idea. Do enlighten me the manner in which we demarcate our sea. So, for example, on land, we have a national park and then we have a sanctuary and then we have somebody's mm. looking after elephants in a sort of elephant enclave. Uh, what's happening? What are the demarcations? Well, in Kenya, we have five... Um, national marine protected areas. You okay, got, so they're, they're the moral equivalent of, of going off to the Mara. No, the Mara is not national. Okay, oh, sorry, I know nothing. <laughs> uh, what is it? It's like Nairobi National Park. <laughs> okay. It's like the national parks. So okay. it's Kiunga Marine National um, Reserve. So right. it's a national reserve. Yes. It's not a county reserve. And then we've got Malindi and Watamo Marine National Parks and Reserves in the middle. And then we've got Mombasa National Marine National Park and Reserve. And then we've got Diani Marine National Park and Reserve. I'll come back to that. And we've got Kisite, Mpunguti right. Marine National Park and Reserve. So we've got five. Diani is So let me not just go really back to my, my lack yeah. of knowledge. So is is the the, 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 the Maasai Mara, Savo, Amboseli, these are just huge tracts of land. They, the, the government has got nothing to do with it. No, the Mara is just county. Ah. Whereas Savo is a national protected area. 
Okay. That's so, different. Okay, sorry. Thank thank you for the elaboration. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to to the sea, the ocean. So we've got these and how now that we've got them, uh, you you'd you'd have a you've just said there are no fences. Uh, mm. how would you have uh, an inkling that you're now approaching one of these national what did you call them? Protected, protected areas. Yes. How would you you are now entering is there a sign? No, they're no signs. They're boyers. They're okay. boys that mark them okay. and meant to mark them. And often you have a core area, which is like what we call a, a no-take zone, um, and where you're not meant to fish. I just wanted to add on the fact that we've got five national protected areas. We've also got local community marine management areas, which are new. And we're using the model of um, like community conservation areas on land, where the community are have have formed this area for protection um, built into on the ocean side we call it with the beach management units which is under fisheries so there's a lot more sort of community understanding of the value of um, of protection of its marine resources and it's called a tengefu the challenge that we have with our tengefus are that they are not yet fully legally endorsed they're just still community accepted and until you have legal enforcement, you can't enforce things. It's going to be within your community that you can enforce it. So there's a lot of willingness to do things. It's just we could do it all a lot better. If I could draw you on one thing, Mama Bahari. <laughs> if you're on land, uh, you'd hear that there is a community and they are being encouraged to look after their wildlife and to have a stake in what's happening because... People come to the park, they pay park fees, and therefore, whatever ethnic groups, they stand to benefit. Now, I'm still going to this idea of no fences. No fences. Why should the community? Wanainchi, wajiskie, wanajukumu towards the Bahari. For what reason? They're not getting any money out of it. If anything, sorry, if anything, they're getting food out of it. Yes. And, and they must have a, a particular type of, of food. Like, I like my vegetables, so I'm only interested in one part. But I'm not interested in the other creatures in the sea. And it is of no benefit to me. I'm not getting any money. Hakuna pesa, so let them perish, is my sort of good night wish for them. Yeah, lakini, ukichunga sahemu you know, where you don't fish. There's a no fishing area, or I would call it a fish replenishment zone. It's a replenishment zone. It's like a seed. If you protect that seed, um, you could get more fish on the outside. So the idea yeah, of the I, I ruined everything. That, for, I, I ruined everything by you saying there's nothing in it for me. The good old sort of gangster movie. I know, but the, <laughs> but the fishermen, when they work together within their beach management units, ideally, mm. they realize that they can get better fish if they leave the Tengefu, the closed area, off, and then you can fish on the outside because it the sea regenerates really quickly. I mean, there's an example in um, Vipingo, in Kilifi, Kuruitu. It, it's set up by the community. It's managed by the community, and it's one of our key examples. Um, and they are making sure that the, the core area is not overfished so that they can fish on the outsides. They've also got local tourism, and it's a fantastic place to go and visit. 
and learn a little bit about the ocean. Could you give us a, a destruction story? Um, could you a just say destruction? Said, yeah. In other words, where have we got it all wrong? Where ten years ago it was like this, mm. and now we've managed. Uh, tell the whole of Kenya what. Remember, um, for, for, for many people story. in my family, mm. uh, they just simply haven't gone to the coast. They've lived their lives without having managed to go to Mombasa. So I sort of go back, oh, I've been to the moon, you know, they haven't seen it, the thing. So I'm still asking, uh, if they were to go, where's mm. the hard luck story that you can come up with? Oh, I will talk about Diani mm. Marine Reserve. Mm. Um, it was never formally managed. The community never accepted the Kenya Wildlife Service to, they were scared that they didn't have, exactly that, they were scared that the KWS would take away their resources to fish. So in the 80s, Diani was like seen as this most amazing coastal destination with one of the 10 best beaches in the world. All these hotels go up, but the lagoon, which was incredibly diverse, really full of fish. I would have had dolphins coming in. You would have had eagle rays and a whole mixture of different marine species and really beautiful hard corals is now almost what we call an ocean desert because the fish have been overfished in all forms, maybe to f feed the tourists, to feed the communities, to feed, you know, export fisheries. Um, but there's, and, and what's come in is we've got hundreds and thousands of sea urchins now sea urchins are what we call grazers they they eat great they eat seagrass and they eat algae and so you just get this area when you've got hundreds and thousands of sea urchins where you can't walk and and it, they eat the algae and it looks like a desert and you're like this has just happened in my lifetime under my eyes and right next to these incredibly beautiful beaches and big hotels and it could have been managed better and it's quite a disaster that said there is still a solution if, if we protected a small area immediately with no fishing no use no offtake it would come back within a year and a year and a half well within two years into a much more diverse area so the good thing about the ocean <laughs> the fact that you don't have fences is that it it comes back quickly it cross pollinates <laughs> Right. Uh, Mama Bahari, just talk about living memory. You know that we've lived long enough to where one of the solutions on land was um, a shoot to kill policy. In other words, if you found a baddie poaching for your rhino or whatever, the KWS, I do believe in my living memory, had the wherewithal to uh, use arms to deal with malefactors. Again, no fences. Do, do the seas have any form of protection or will a sense of impunity rule forever they're concerned people like you working overnight to sort of make things happen but basically i could go there and do what i like yeah it's much harder to to enforce i would say in the sea i mean sea turtles we've got five of the seven species in the world here in kenya um they're protected under cites if a fisherman kills one is he locked up? No. Right, and, 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 and surely the sea turtles, again, if I see an image from you, they must go to a breeding ground. They must have cycles where we, you know, you sort of see all these wonderful National Geographic movies. So David Attenborough saying, oh my goodness, let's go. And they're all through the sand to recreate. So are those areas 
protected, uh, sort of with guys with machine guns. So that no, they, no, they, no, 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 no. We've had to work with the community on sea turtle concert, on sea turtle nesting. So we've actually got two projects in Kenya. We, we, the beaches is where the sea turtles come to nest, and whether it's Diani, I mean, we have sea nesting locations from Shimoni right up to Ishikani, which is the whole coastline of Kenya. And sea turtles come back to nest in the place that they were, where, where they went to sea, so where the, they were deposited. And they have this sort of magnetic location. So we can't protect all our beaches, but the sea turtles, and, and the way we've done it is to try and encourage the community to not eat those eggs and to be a part of the conservation programs. So, so let's go back to the idea that I've, I've suggested punishments. Do forgive me, mm -hmm. maybe punishments are bad mm -hmm. and we live in a, in a kind, gentle society. But are there any rewards? Can I walk around with a badge saying, you know, I'm the greatest living protector of sea turtles on my <laughs> neck of the woods? So what are you doing to make the buy-in? They're not getting any money out of it and they're not being recognized. Well, some are being recognized. Communities are being recognized for their good work. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is a bit of a carrot and a stick in all of this um, and it's 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 tough because you don't have just one nesting beach you have lots of nesting beaches and some of them are in the protected areas and some of them are outside I just want more I, I want to ask a sort of ethnic kind of um, tribally type question the coast there are the people who live on the coast uh, the Mijikenda as we mm -hmm. We always talk about this idea of looking after the environment as being embedded within the traditional culture of the people, mm -hmm. so that you hear these people will always look after because tangu zamani to me. Do you is this true? Do the local people instinctively go towards the idea of protection of the species and the environment, or do they need to be educated, civil education? civic education whatever kind of education but you know do the one ain't you need to be educated or do they know, do they know the right practices already i think the was knew the right practices and i think they're dead yeah the, the, <laughs> the newer population you know are on a survival mode right. um but that said each of the communities that i've worked with whether it's the midjikenda the bajun um there's always an element of understanding the sea but there's also an element of not understanding the sea and some you know there's a lot more terrestrial understanding of like sacred forests with the Michikenda rather than well there used to be sacred fishing grounds but I think that knowledge has been lost we need to bring it back time thank you very much time for our last break Mama Bahari, thank you for responding so graciously to my out-of-the-blue questioning. Uh, <laughs> one more um, from left of south is coral, the sea word coral. Uh, of what use to man or beast is coral? Coral reefs, what do they do? Coral reefs are like the gardens 
on land. They are the homes to lots of our inshore fish and Well, that's where they live. So this is lots of them. So do they live in seagrass? But the corals are like the 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 sort of flowers, and corals are made up of the hard corals provide a sort of limestone skeleton, Mm -hmm. and they're made up of millions of polyps. A polyp is like a sea anemone, Mm -hmm. like tentacles, Mm -hmm. and they they feed in the sea, but they also take the sun's energy, and they have a bit of algae in them there that gives them the color. Right, and they form. They form, I don't know what you, they form. A beautiful place to be when you get into the water. They also a barrier. They coral reefs for, create a sort of barrier to any um, to the ocean. And what is likely? To, what is likely to destroy them? Let's go back. What what destroys the coral reef? Poor um, fishing methods. Poor fishing. In, in, um, hurricanes. Is, right. So that they can't. They can't eat and therefore they die. No, I mean, poor fishing methods. The net goes over it and just just breaks down all the limestone and kills it all. You can just see it. It's just rubble. I'll show you photos of it. Right. Coral bleaching. When when you've got... When the coral bleaches, it means that the the algae that lives inside that gives it color dies, which means the the anemone dies, like the polyp Mm -hmm. dies. Once it dies, the limestone's got no body structure. It's like a like your bone, right, and so it just breaks down. So it's a bit like breaking down the Great Wall of China. Yeah, just uh, breaks down. Okay, uh, we haven't got that much time left to yes. go. <laughs> I, I, the last... Uh, so you I, asked me about Corrie, so I couldn't I, yeah, yeah, you had, to explain. You had, you had to respond, but sadly we have to stop uh, not that far away from now. I want to go to the whole idea of legislation. Uh, I want to go to legislation globally. What's the world doing about the ocean, the sea, and I would like for you to tag before I ask you who you are about what Kenya's doing about it. So global goals, the laws, enactments, what are we trying to uh, respect and globally? And how good are we as Kenyans at doing so? Honestly, there are many global platforms, whether it's through the Paris Agreement with climate change or whether it's through various global conventions which are related to the ocean. Um, there's there's lots globally, and Kenya is signed up to many of these. Um, so Kenya, for instance, has also gets support financially to have better ocean governance, or th- like through the Blue um, Economy Project that's just come in. Um, but actually, at the end of the day, it's down to each nation and uh, how they can implement what's come down from the top. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of, like, conventions, things that we should all be doing, but the actual doing of it, enforcing it, is the tough part. <laughs> Mama Bahari, I, I do believe, I'm still reading my papers, that we have uh, a CS for the blue economy. I think that it's part of the uh, Kenya Kwanzaa sort of um, target are you rejoicing in this development? I, I don't remember always having had a CS for the Blue Economy. No, the Blue Economy is a very new project that's just come down. And what, does it, what, does, it, what does it mean to you? As op- uh, yeah. What does it mean to me? That's me. Yeah. I mean, ideally, it's an it's ideal. It's a you know. It, what does it mean? Um, it means that. 
We, well, we need well, to work well, more together on how we can make this happen. There's a lot of money being invested. There's a lot of potential. But I don't think the gel, the right people are involved into actually making it happen. Yeah, because you have, you're suggesting it. You, you have, you have a, let's call it a ministry. You've got a cabinet secretary. Mm. Uh, and so who are the people... There are people like you who've been in this business for a long time. Mm. What kind of support have you lacked that you might be wishing for from this new regime over well, the next five, ten, forever regime? I'm not a direct be beneficiary of this at all. I haven't mm. sought any finance from it. Mm. Um, I think the potential is great, but it's often like that. Great projects, you just need the right people. It's like having a business. You need the right people to make the right choices to have the great the best impact and uh, i think sometimes you don't have the right people sorry the, just the wish list <laughs> uh, your personal in your own personal capacity i mean you've invested a lot of your professional life into all this mm. what 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 do you wish might happen to make the sea a better place because i'm going to ask you whether like going back to our song finally <laughs> uh, is it a better uh, just why should we care but before the last question why should we care i'm asking you what should we hope for i think we should i think a lot of this should be right now a lot more public private partnerships mm. i think they work you you need to find those right partnerships and they're not always just within government and I will give an example just in Bazarutu, the African Parks has done a great job in Mozambique in making that marine protected area viable and workable. Obviously, it could, you know, it's very good. And I think in Kenya, that would be a good thing. Plus, I think we need to create a more of a marine, a marine team within KWS, a marine team within fisheries. Fisheries in KWS haven't been the best of friends over the last 25 years even though they work very closely together. And I think working with what the research that's going on and bringing research into management and decision-making is absolutely fundamental. Why should we care? And by that we, I say I. I, the one angel who's talking to you. Why should I go back and say, oh, I had that. Why should I care? How will this impact my life, the life of the sea? Kenya's influenced by the ocean in, in, in many, many ways. Through trade and tourism, through fish and and, and fish food, whether it's for your chickens, um, it's uh, through its energy, through the port, through um, water. We, you know, the ocean gives us rain. <laughs> so many ways we should care. Everybody, everybody in the world, even if you don't live ne next to the ocean, is influenced by the ocean. And we indirectly influence the ocean. We are a blue planet, remember? I'm Bahari. Who are you? <laughs> I'm Julie Church. I, um, a bit more. I uh, I worked for KWS and WWF in Kyunga Marine National Reserve for a while. So you've got you've got a <laughs> you've got a Mzungu accent. The far, last ah, first question I'm, I'm going to ask. I, I, Sorry, Pole ni Mukenya. Then you have to say a few words of Kiswahili uh, just sao, to redeem sao. yourself. Ni Mukenya na fanya kazi na KWS mani sasa nilianzisha ile biashara naitwa Ocean Soul. Mm -hmm. Tulifanya kazi na wale wanawake wa Kyunga, Kiwayu. Mm -hmm. Tulianzisha hapo. Halafu ah. yeah. How did you get to where you are? How did you get to where you are? A young person listening who wants to be, a, you're a marine conservationist with not being a marine scientist. What is the difference and how did you get there? 
I, I've had a passion more for conservation rather than purely science and scientific papers and taking them to scientific forums. So what did you study? I studied environmental science as my postgrad. And um, I, being a big swimmer and loving the music of the ocean, <laughs> I decided that my environment was the ocean and that we needed to bring that to Kenyans and to realize how incredibly diverse and beautiful our ocean is. What did it take me? A lot of years of hard work and passion and working working for agencies and people that I believed in. Is it is is your is is your passion homegrown or do you rely on outside support, foreign funding? Mine's homegrown. Meaning, elaborate. Um, homegrown supported. Generally, I'm the one that supported most of this right. through my own hard work. Right. So when I founded Ocean Soul, the flip flop recycling company, I founded it off my own earnings, which was very passionately driven. Okay, and I'm going to ask: Are there more like you? Is there a huge community, or are you in danger of extinction? <laughs> I think there's a few more people, and a, a dream would be to have a seas for life base at the coast where we can work with Kenyans, get them to love snorkeling, understand seagrass, mangroves and coral reefs and um, fall in love with our blue planet. One, you've got one minute, uh, 728, you could say one more thing oh, before we end. Sorry. And the one more thing, I want you to talk to a, a, a seven-year-old yeah. listening, as they all do at this hour. What do you have to say to the seven-year-old? Uh, the, um, the world is your oyster. Follow what you believe in and do as much as you can and keep smiling. <laughs> Brilliant. I like that for the seven-year-old. It's 19 hours, 28 minutes and 49 seconds. And we have to stop there. Do continue to give us feedback, hopefully positive and reassuring, on the Twitter handle at capital FM Kenya or drop us a text or WhatsApp message on 0701-984-984. I've been talking to Julie Church, marine conservationist, Kenya, and you've been listening to John Sibiokum on Wednesday. Thank you most kindly for doing that, and until next time.